Welcome back, everyone. We are uh, here today on Rue a Glass Darkly Radio. And I want to welcome everyone and just say that you're listening to United Public Radio. So today, the what was on the schedule was to uh, interview Terry Loveless, but uh, Terry's not here yet. So... <laughs> Uh, these things happen. Uh, he may or may not show up. So in the, uh, interim, I think, I think we might, might have to start taking some, some questions. So let's just kind of go through everyone who's here. Good to see you, Miss Tessa Marie. Good to see him, Knox Twilight again. Yeah, the Steve Mara episode was uh, outstanding. It was the thank goodness that uh, Nathaniel Gillis recommended him. Um, there's some really interesting things about, uh, particularly the Skull uh, experiments, which was a detailed series of experiments that they did in the UK. I don't know if it went all the way back to the 1970s, but I know at least it ended in the 1990s. And uh, you know, we can definitely we can definitely go into that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of looked at the email correspondence. He, he definitely had the right date and time, but I don't know if I don't know if Terry saw it. Well, uh, he hasn't. He's not. Terry's not on yet. So. I don't know if he's going to be here or not. So we're just going to start asking, uh, you know, kind of going through questions. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. Hi, Dave uh, Jenkins. Good to, good to see you uh, from England, from the UK. Well, I, yeah, you said England. Okay. Um, UK is much more encompassing than that. Yes. Nathaniel Gillis is a demonologist that I've had on my show through a glass darkly. And he is absolutely amazing. I, I think I think he got the date screwed up. I don't think this is like any snub or anything like that. I think if I look at the email, it it it, it said something about like Monday, the like February 29th. But if you look at the calendar this year, there is no Monday, February 29th. But my correspondence it was very, very clearly said Sunday, um, you know, the 25th. The calendar invite it Sunday the 25th. Um, I sent the link about three times. So if he's not looking at his email right now, um, but, you know, these things do happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the missing 411, there's like places that typically have, you know, El Diablo or they have uh, d like devil in their names is typically, but. I guess over the over the years, people who have been associated with those areas have, um, you know, there's typically more disappearances in those areas. So maybe those areas are named because of the disappearances, or who knows. All right. Well, uh, since uh, Terry is not here yet. Oh man, I'm sorry, the juggler's assistant. My guest hasn't isn't isn't here, 
So I don't know if he's going to show up or not. So uh, you're going to see me. Have I had any men in black encounters? No, I have never, ever had any any men in black encounters. I, 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 think, I think my reaction would be a little different than the normal reaction. Um, I don't I don't respond to threats very rationally. So all right, well one thing one thing we can talk about, so or two things we can talk about is I've recently I don't read like a single book at a time. I read many books simultaneously. I don't know why, but I just do. And two that I'm kind of pretty deep in and well actually three because I'm kind of in the middle of reading Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. I'm also reading Operation Trojan Horse by John Keel. And I'm also reading The Day After Roswell. I'm look, sitting here looking at the book titles by uh, Colonel Philip J. Corso. And they're all pretty interesting. And I think the reason that it makes sense to read these books kind of in parallel is because you can draw distinctions or connections between or among the three books that you genuine genuinely or generally would not likely draw context to so the interesting thing i think john keel's aspect of the phenomenon which is kind of what we folks who study ufos cryptids the paranormal um if you've all watched that steve mara episode on through a glass darkly the you know my youtube channel there seems to be some connection among all these things. That's not to say that there aren't ETs or there aren't interdimensional beings. Maybe there's, you know, there's all of the above, but there's a greater reality that we don't see that tends to not be acknowledged. So, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Anthony Jones is, is referring to the Jesse Mitchell's uh, documentary that dropped about Townsend Brown which is about anti-gravity and it's kind of an experimental physicist to put that together and called out the, the guy I never, I never publicly call out and I'm not going to do it again either, but I didn't know that, uh, that, that individual wrote a book, but he was definitely called out by name in Bledsoe's book, UFO of God. So let's see. Uh, yeah, there's like lots of weird stuff, lots of weird stuff. Um, actually I'll, so last week I interviewed Edward Reardon and, uh, this is, this is the, that week I just kind of woke up and there was just kind of a name in my head and the name was Andreev or Andrea, uh, Puharich. And it's a name I heard before, so it wasn't like random. It wasn't a random name that just came out of nowhere. But for some reason, it was just in my in my head. And again, this is just all, you know, just take this as, I'm not saying any of this is significant. It could just be complete randomness. But if you look up that name in the UFO lore, he is quite an interesting figure. So he was associated with, if you've ever heard of these books, these channel books called The Law of One, um, you know, kind of with this raw entity and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's just weird. 
And uh, there's, you know, he's associated with something called the Council of Nine, which is a group of people who, you know, allegedly, again, there's, there's, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and disinformation and misinformation. So I'm not, I, I haven't done, you know, any due diligence on this at all. So take this all with a grain of salt, but it's just interesting. But he's associated with a group called the Council of Nine, which are apparently a group of nine plutocrats, apparently in the United States. Um, this might be in the book Sinister Forces by Peter Lavenda. You'll have to double check. But they're all associated with like weird things like the assassination of Kennedy and, you know. But apparently they were communicating with a, you know, a group of nine entities, call them extraterrestrials or not, right? But they called themselves the Council of Nine. So when I spoke with... Um, Ed Reardon afterwards, and I told him about this Puharich thing. He's just like, oh my God, I have his book. And he pulled out this book that he had of this guy. And he's just like, I had the dream where I kind of, a guy stepped out of a truck and said something about the Council of Nine. And that's it. That's all. That, uh, that's all. But there's, it's just wacky, like strange. There's a lot of that kind of going around right now. So it is weird. And, um, yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not, uh, <laughs> it's just like these weird, like weird synchronicities. It could probably mean absolutely nothing, but I've definitely had a lot of that uh, happening. I mean, you've all, you all know about the owl in the backyard, right? Where I kind of walked up to it, took a thousand photos. And I mean, if you look at my, you know, if you look at my, uh, you know, just go to my merch site, the Marvin the Owl, that's literally the owl that was showed up in my backyard that I took a thousand photos of and just, you know, put on a t put on a, a T-shirt or whatever. Um, so, you, you know, you can you can see the picture of them there. You can also see at the end of my videos, um, you know, when I have like that, that like five minute infomercial that everybody should absolutely skip. Um, you'll see, you'll see the picture of that owl, um, and a video too, cause I took some video, but I was able to get within five feet of that owl and, um, anymore, I probably would have flown away, but it was just very weird. I've never been able to, I'd never seen a great horned owl in, in person that close in my entire life. So there's just stuff like that, that, you know, it's could you know, just, I live or I live kind of up against a park. So it could just be that right there's there's perfectly plausible explanations to to everything oh yeah yeah yuri yuri geller that's a good point the juggler's assistant yuri geller supposedly had a dream of this council of nine and that's when he started doing all this strange at least he claimed so puharovich worked with yuri geller like there was some connection there but he also i think has some connection to mk ultra and he's a really weird mysterious figure so it's just a weird thing to pop into your head for no apparent reason and then ed reardon has some other connection related to it um anyway i'll go i'm gonna go back to the books because i don't want to make this about me because it's a little yeah i think i i don't think terry's gonna join us for folks who are joining for terry loveless i i think there was probably a mix-up on the on the timing of all this so, uh, you know, after this is done, I'm, obviously I'm going to change the thumbnail and, uh, 
and then just rebrand this so that people aren't led astray because i i don't I do, I'm, I'm not a fan of false advertising and uh this is not false advertising but it's just sometimes these things happen and it's good that it happened because i need to be able to uh oh no it's live now it's just for the replay i'm just going to change the thumbnail so that people don't um you know it's not false advertising i legitimately had planned for him to be here today but unless he looks at his calendar invite he, he probably he's probably not going to show up um let's see okay i'm going to read this out loud just for folks on the radio who won't necessarily hear this so timid so i'm not gonna say this guy's name tyler durden who is the person the figure that's fe features prominently in both bledsoe's book and um now i'm like my the name is uh diana walt dr diana walsh Prasolka's two books who is an intelligence figure he supposedly confirmed to bledsoe that mars was originally inhabited by bigfoot creatures that destroyed themselves WTF is that about? I have never heard that, and I have no idea what that is about. But I definitely like to like to know more. Uh, let's see. Now, now this is—I mean, it's just—it's tonight. I mean, I could probably schedule him for a future episode, but I think it was just um, signals crossed on this one. So. Yeah, so uh, Miss Therese, uh, Tessa Marie, is. I've only heard owls hooting and screeching around here and flying around, of course, but I've never seen one that close. Yeah, I mean, I have I have photos. I'm not going to dig them out for this because it doesn't, you know, folks on a, on a radio. So Cynthia uh, Batista says, I, I had a terrifying incident at Devil's Den a few years ago. Changed my life. Together. Yeah, the thing that Terry tells about this the story that he tells about this is there's this place in the middle of rural Arkansas. It's kind of in a state park, but it's like a national Bureau of Land Management owns it. So it's like federal property and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's hard to find, but they routinely, it's like this uh, flat top hill basically. And they routinely, someone routinely mows it, like keeps it flat, even though it's in the middle of nowhere and for what. And it was at this spot that uh, Terry and his friend went camping in 1979, I believe, and they were abducted. So, again, for folks just joining, um, you know, my apologies. Uh, Terry uh, is not not here yet. I don't think he's going to be here. I think he just um, was a scheduling scheduling snafu. Is my is my guess. He has the link, but I don't. It just depends if he's. Um, you know, near his computer and, 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 and decides to check. So, you know, these things happen. So, um, let's see. Yeah. Uh, AGI, you know, why does it seem AGI and UFO disclosures seem to have a weird correlation? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, and it, it seemed to happen the last time there were a ton of, uh, ufo overflights and things like that like all that all that madness started was right after we detonated an atomic weapon so it could just be that these things show up whatever they are during periods of you know when there's kind of punctuated equilibrium with the human species right so like rapid uh leaps in evolution things like that or technical progress you know it could be something related to that but i don't know it's just 
let's see okay all right um all right so going back to those two books um so Kiel's book was was relatively interesting because he goes through a whole period of the kind of 19 or the 1890s with the air like the airship sort of incidents and you know it was really bizarre because whatever was flying in the skies wanted people to think that they had technology that was just a tiny bit more advanced so they were you know flying these steamships and things like that but they didn't quite make sense right they're just kind of just a little bit beyond and they were trying to make sure that people knew they were here and they would stop you know there, there are plenty of incidents with these things and they kind of just went away um and then you know when you saw them in the 1940s they obviously acquired this saucer shape after the kenneth arnold sightings in i don't know if it was 1947 or 1946 something like that at the same time you have all this weird you have kind of like the uh, i don't know if it's the babylon working or something like that that uh that parsons um did in the in the mojave desert at the time um you know he's associated with crowley and also with the uh jet propulsion laboratory at caltech so you know there's a lot of a lot of weird weird stuff like that so um let's see so you know th there was that in this uh operation trojan horse in terms of the day after roswell there's also a lot of interesting material there i mean that primarily concerns itself with an historical figure the right you know the author of the book who is colonel corso and you know he claims to have been associated working for general trudeau in kind of r d and his responsibility was to seed a lot of the technical materials that they had recovered at roswell and as a result of that you know he talks about some of the programs that they you know had acquired uh, or had started and how, how they would seed this material into the private sector and the reason they were doing that at least according to corso is that apparently the cia and the kgb at the time were very close <laughs> uh, so you know they would kind of share everything with each other in a kind of weird you know they're they're different overlapping if you have a venn diagram of affinity groups right intelligence professionals are kind of in their own affinity group and according to corso they felt kind of more akin to each one another than they did to kind of the rest of the military industrial complex so they would share things that they probably shouldn't have so he was an army officer and he was trying to keep the materials as close to the vest as possible and as a result of that they had to kind of come up with this elaborate scheme to seed these technologies into the private sector without the private sector knowing it so as an example they talk about these night vision goggles and i know michelle he is awesome but i, I think that i think uh signals got crossed because i 
he's uh he's he's not here so i'm assuming that he probably thinks it's tomorrow night uh but he does have the the link and all that good stuff um so if he discovers it between now and the end of the show he'll he will he will be here so um yep these things happen so that's why we uh have have a plan b and the plan b is i'm talking about these uh you know three important researchers in uh kind of ufo lore and again philip j colonel philip j corso john keel and uh jacques valet and we're talking about three different books so a day, the day after roswell operation trojan horse and passport to magonia so and for folks who are just joining uh terry couldn't make it tonight um hopefully we'll get him on in a future episode but um we're gonna we're discussing you know that topic in lieu of that and also taking questions if folks you know have anything that they they want to add so um anyway so with corso he's trying to see this this these technologies you know allegedly according to what he wrote in the book uh, and it all stems from the roswell crash so according to you know according to his book and i'm not talking about the lore uh there were two craft that came down over one over kind of Roswell, kind of near Corona. And the army, and, and it was it was near the 509th bomber wing, and it was the only military unit. All the nuclear weapons in the world were at this site at the time. So there was intense UFO activity uh, surveilling the area and things like that. And by the way, Corso's view, at least so far, I haven't finished it, tends to be that these beings are not the space brothers we think they are it's, you know kind of a persistent surveillance process and as a military intelligence officer he had to assume the worst and assume that whoever these beings were they were surveilling highly sensitive sites and could be constituted a threat so again point of the military military intelligence is to assume the worst possible case prepare for it and then if it happens to not be true then it's all aces and it's great. But that's kind of the mindset. At the same time, it was at the very end of World War II, we had just fought an enormously destructive war where upwards of 50 million people died, um, You know, the majority of which happened kind of in the, the Eastern Front between the Russians and the, and the Germans. Um, also, enormous loss of life um, in China, with you know, in Manchuria, Nanking, all that, um, where, the, where the Japanese were. So, the last thing that the United States government needed was to oh yeah, so somebody, so uh, Johnny Yuma is saying the narrative going around is the truth is very dark regarding the others. Yeah, I mean, my my personal view is, um, you know, as above, so below, or as as you know, and I think I think that's probably the way reality is. There's there's probably stuff out there that has our interests in line with their interests, and there's some that have interests that 
might be opposed to our interests. And then there might be some that don't care, you know, that want to have nothing to do with us. Yeah, Free Spirit Farmer, Whiteman Air Force Base is where he was stationed. Uh, and that's Terry. That's, that's absolutely... And he uh, says that your dad had an experience at your farm not far from there. Interesting. Yeah, say more. I'd like to, you know, I can, I can, I can read it to folks. For folks who are just joining, uh, Terry couldn't make it tonight. So I'm discussing uh, kind of the work of three different authors in the, in the field of UFOs. And that's Colonel Corso, uh, Jacques Vallée, and uh, John Keel. So, and we're talking about Corso. So anyway, um, Roswell, according to Corso, indeed happened. We recovered some craft. There was actually one of the uh, beings that was uh, you know, on the ground kind of started running away. And one of the MPs that showed up on the scene or one of the you know military folks who showed up the scene like shot him like you know there's shot this shot this being in the back so it was a different time you know these people had just most of these um men and women had just returned from you know fighting a, a war for four years where it was no quarter either on the um against the germans or against the the japanese so they weren't in the mood to like assume that these things surveilling the only nuclear weapon stockpile on the planet um you know were were uh you know friendly ian thank you very much i appreciate that i appreciate the the support so what happened is they took all these materials um and kind of by way uh you know there's various locations obviously you all know that initially there was a report that we had recovered a flying saucer in in roswell and then it was amended and subsequently it was kind of at high altitude balloons as part of project mogul or something like that and that was the cover story um incidentally there was a telegram in the famous picture where uh, I, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but the military intelligence uh, professional who was in charge of this operation was kind of kneeling before this balloon wreckage and had a telegram in his hand. And apparently the original photographer supplied the prints to somebody and they were able to use AI to see what was actually on that telegram. And it had something about, you know, send the flying saucer to Wright Patterson airfield, etc. So it was a cover story. I mean, it was almost certainly a cover story. Now there are a bunch of alternative cover stories, um, involved in this, but a lot, a lot of them are just silly. I think the air, air force tried to debunk it twice. The second time the debunk that they used failed because they, uh, claim that the bodies were crash test dummies, but at the time they didn't have crash test dummies. So like really, really bad rookie mistakes. But anyway, where Corso comes in is he spent a lot of time in Italy during World War II. I think came back, was stationed at Fort Leavenworth, and much of this material was routed through Fort Leavenworth on its way to Wright-Patterson Airfield in Ohio. And there was a night when he had kind of staff duty when he had to kind of just go around and check the post and, you know, make sure nothing was on fire and, 
no one was in trouble, and he had to go check building to building. And in one of these occasions, one of his sergeants was kind of, kind of pale, kind of like looked at him ashen and was kind of terrified. And he said, well, like, what, what's the deal? And he's like, sir, you have, you, you, you have to see this. So he pulls him into this warehouse and there's a crate. They open the crate and there's a, just like a being in fluid, like embalming fluid or some <clears throat> strange, like fluid to preserve, to help pre preserve some of these bodies. And that's the first time that Corso claims that he saw one of these entities. And he just kind of just shut his mouth, didn't say anything. Now, the other thing you have to keep in mind is when someone from military intelligence writes a tell-all book like this, some of the information is, is probably going to be deliberate misinformation or disinformation. So, so you have to take a lot of it with a grain of salt. Is that story true? Did that really happen? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think that's, from what I've read so far, seems to be a little bit more um, fanciful than, than some of the other information. So anyway, he later on, you know, about a decade later, he's in Washington, D.C., uh, work, working with this guy, General Trudeau, who tell, like sends this cart of materials to his office. Doesn't say what's in it. He just says, I want you to take a look at this stuff. And it's basically wreckage from the Roswell crash. And a lot of it had made its way throughout all the military industrial complex. And this is just specifically the stuff that had arrived into the army's hands. And it was that kind of environment where they couldn't tell anybody that they had it. Uh, they couldn't. So it was literally just Corso and Trudeau who would talk about it and nobody else. Nobody else was involved. And Corso's mission was to draw up a strategy for how to get these materials into private companies' hands without them knowing that uh, of the provenance of this material. Right. So it's just like, hey, we got this advanced technology from a foreign adversary and, you know, we want to see if you can, you know, get anything from it. So the first part that he had to do is he had to look at people who were associated with the Manhattan Project, uh, like Dr. Sarbacher and uh, Von Braun or, or, you know, not just not, not necessarily the, just the Manhattan Project, but also the U.S. rocketry, rocketry program. So folks like Von Braun. Um, who were obviously originally German scientists who were brought over as part of Operation Paperclip. And so he had to find find these folks, and they were kind of the conduits for getting this stuff into the private sector's hands. Because again, the military couldn't work on it because the military worked on it. Then the Soviets would know about it. And, you know, or and the CIA couldn't learn about it because the CIA learned about it. They would share it with the KGB, et cetera, et cetera. According to Corso, okay, so if anybody out there in the CIA is getting upset that I'm making them look bad, I'm just repeating what Corso is saying. It could be complete misinformation. I acknowledge that. So what ends up happening is I think the first person he seeds it with, there was like a lens that they found. And again, Corso has to look through each of this, each of these materials and kind of intuit what the purpose of some of it is. And it's not 
100% straightforward. So he finds something that kind of looks like a, a like an advanced circuit board. That one, you know, I would think that something. It looks like it looked it, the way he described it was like him describing a circuit board from like 1995, right? Like right now, you can't even there are chips you can't even really see the transistors because there's millions upon millions in different substrates built, you know, in three you know three dimensionally on top of one another, and you know you could probably see the see the stuff with uh, microscope and things like that, but it's not like the tech described was um, seemed like 1990s tech, uh, or at least some of it, at least the like, kind of the integrated circuit side. So one of the things he gets that's pretty obvious is this looks like a lens. He puts the lens in front of his eyes at night. He can see at night, right? So it's a, a precursor to night vision. So he takes this material. He scours the R&D establishment for anybody who's working on night vision. And apparently the Germans have been working on it in World War II, but it was much cruder than what you know, than the materials that they had that Corso had from the crash. So he found a scientist who was working on it, who was one of these Sarbacher von Braun types, went, kind of read him in on this and just said, I was never here. And it was also super cloaking. Like he could, he, he was at Fort Belvoir, but he couldn't show up in uh, his military uniform. He just showed up in a suit and tie as if that would, you know, if somebody was watching where he was going, as if that would prevent them from saying, oh, that's Colonel Corso. He's just in this suit and tie. Why? Well, you know, at an army post, why doesn't he just wear his uniform? That's kind of weird. Maybe, maybe there's a reason that we should start paying attention. But anyway, he takes it there to, he scours the R&D um, programs and anything that is working on something similar to what he intuits is part of this technology, then he, you know, the plan is for him to pay them a visit, grant them the technology, just give it to them, no paperwork, and then just walk away. And then hopefully at some point in the future, there would be uh, some, you know, some level of, of development. And some of the areas that at least he claims in his book where they developed some of these technologies where they worked on is, you know, night vision was one fiber optics. Um, I believe uh, Kevlar might've been something. So, you know, different, different fibers. Um, I, I don't recall if you talked about anything about the memory metal, the metal that you kind of crumble up and then it just uh, restores its original form. But there are other programs. I think there was something called project horizon uh, where they were going to, potentially use some of this, which was a plan to build an, an, an like a base on the moon. Uh, and, you know, kind of, it was planned for mid 1960s and the, and there was a lot of, a lot of the, um, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of the programs that they worked on were uh, dual purpose. So part of it was to focus on the Soviet threat, of course. And then the secondary purpose of it was, you know, so for instance, satellites, they were uh, both, yeah, fiber optics. So Anthony Jones is saying fiber optics is 99.99% re-engineered alien tech. Uh, 
I mean, according to Corso, that sounds that sounds consistent. So uh, some of the other tech, so so they were working on kind of dual purpose tech. So you take satellites, for instance, not only are you monitoring positions on Earth, but you're also rotating around and kind of looking for, uh, you know, threats outward. You're also looking for potential uh, sites of interest where non-human intelligences may be operating or, or using bases and things like that. Uh, that was... So initially, the according to Corso, the Army the Navy and the Air Force were all trying to work on space and the Russians were, you know, more unified, whereas we were competing against each other. So they were, they got Sputnik up in the space a lot faster. Um, and they were just kind of, you know, beating the crap out of us in the space race. So allegedly, according to Corso, uh, Eisenhower uh, spun up NASA and wanted to put it in civilian hands so they could concentrate all the effort R and D in one place where there was this, you know, you could, you could focus on trying to beat the Soviets at their own game. So as part of this, there was a program called uh, project Corona. And I think there was like some like piece of tech or satellite called discovery. And they covertly included Corona in this launch. And the purpose of Corona was kind of a satellite system to observe what was going on on planet earth so there was a lot of uh you know effort to to not only surveil soviet assets but also any assets that might be on soviet territory that were associated with this with this potential nhi threat and at the same time while that was happening uh we were also sharing any any intelligence that, that we gained about potential NHI bases and things like that on Soviet territory to the Soviets. So it was kind of a weird thing because there were also divisions within the Soviet Union. So the Soviet military hated the, the, you know, the Soviet commissars and the Communist Party establishment. Like they just wanted to do their jobs and protect their country against all threats. So the way that they did this is they would share the intelligence with the Soviet military establishment and the Soviet military establishment would keep it to themselves and not share it with the communists. So there's a lot of like weird, uh, bi-directional activity. Like it's not, it's not black and white where we keep all secrets to ourselves. There was this weird cloak and dagger thing going on where us and the Soviets tacitly knew that there was a potential threat outside you know off of the planet and then by the way this is very explicit in the uh, corso book that it's kind of an extraterrestrial sort of threat i'm not saying that's necessarily what it is but that was his working assumption during the um period of the book at least where where i am at the current uh point in time so so there's a lot of this cloak and dagger stuff <clears throat> that's going on during the course or during the period that they were looking at. But anyway, there were other technologies that, um, you know, they were looking at like getting a, a base on the moon, um, primarily to defend against a threat from space. And it could be, you know, from the Russians just dropping, uh, rods from God, which is kind of what we currently have, which is these like tungsten steel rods that 
the kin kinetic effect is so powerful that you don't really need nukes. They just kind of, <laughs> they drop them from space and the kinetic energy is of sufficient force to eliminate whatever target you're trying to take out. So, again, the Russians and the Americans would tacitly cooperate in private. And that was part of the thing with Corona. They didn't, the Soviet and American military both acknowledged its existence, even though these things were looking and observing what was going on um, on Soviet territory. They were tacitly okay with it because we were sharing the intelligence that if there were any NHIs landing or, or, or going. Moonanites. I don't know what Moonanites are, Philip, but I, I, I don't, I, who knows, but regardless that's kind of what where i am so far in the book what was astonishing to me is that we were we were working on a moon base like it's called operation or uh, project horizon and they they planned to have 12 personnel on the moon at all times and there was as part of the cold war we were worried that the soviets were going to get there first and if they got there first and claimed the moon as their territory would it constitute an attack if we landed and tried to establish a similar base. So there was a huge rush to get there before they did. Now, I don't know what happened after that. I, I have to read a little bit further, but it's some fascinating stuff. And why we're not there now, at least as far as I know. I mean, who knows whether or not we have... It doesn't mean we don't have some classified facilities up there. I doubt it, but... You never know, right? You never know. So that's that's kind of the day after Roswell. The the other one, Operation Trojan Horse, is much or is different in the sense that it doesn't accept as a central philosophy uh, that these things are coming from, you know. Or, or are definitely extraterrestrials. It's kind of more of a phenomenological sort of approach, as is, by the way, passports, uh, passport to Magonia, which is Jacques work. So, by the way, if folks uh, are just joining us now, you are listening to United Public Public Radio, and the the show is through a glass darkly with uh, through a glass darkly radio with Sean Patrick Hazlett. Um, unfortunately, my guest um, was unable to make it tonight, so we are discussing uh, several, th you know, three kind of landmark works on the phenomenon. Uh, and that's the Day After Roswell by Corso, Operation Trojan Horse by John Keel, as well as Passports to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. So, in Keel's book, he actually does some really interesting oh so uh we're going back to the um immunities oh like communities i'll i'll ask him I'll, I'll try to get him on kind of uh not next week lynn buchanan's gonna be on next week uh and i've done this with lynn buchanan before so i i know he'll be there but um maybe the week after i'll try to i'll try to wrangle terry in again but i, I think it was just kind of a scheduling thing but anyway, one of the interesting things that 
John Keel says in his, uh, you know, in Operation Trojan Horse, which is kind of interesting. So what he did is he had a subscription or he monitored very closely all the local news articles. Now, the way, the reason that's important is that it's much more difficult for, you know, kind of the, like an Operation Mockingbird where the CIA infiltrates national media and, <clears throat> excuse me, and is able to kind of blacklist or kill any strange reports about UFOs and, and things like that. Whereas local communities, and the journalistic standards are probably a little bit, were a little bit lower back then for local papers versus national papers. Now I'd probably say the, probably the, op the opposite is probably true, given that there's much, there's far, there's far fewer local papers and the national news media, basically there's, just doesn't question anything they kind of just re report what they're told so you're really not you can't really follow national news media and expect to know what's really going on in the world you have to use as many sources as you can to figure out what the actual reality is um, although you can learn a lot by what they don't report because that's usually something that whoever's in charge doesn't want you to know about um, that's kind of primarily what they're useful for you know it's like the bombers that returned, the B-29 bombers that returned from bombing missions, right? We didn't look at where the holes were on the bombers that returned. We looked at where the holes weren't because the places where, you know, there weren't holes means that no bombers that had holes in those locations survived. So those were the places that needed to be up armored and protected, et cetera, et cetera. <coughs> Excuse me. So the interesting thing that Kiel did is he took all these local news reports from various papers and he created a kind of a database of when these incidents occurred, where they occurred, uh, when they were the most common, what day of the week and things like that. And unfortunately, it kind of plays into, into Corso's thesis a little bit. And by that, I mean, you would think that the most common time of day that you would see a UFO, right, would be on like a Saturday night or like a Friday night when everybody's out and about. Uh, they're looking up at the sky. They're seeing a lot of stuff. You would have uh, all else being equal too, even if, even if they were uniformly distributed throughout the week, right? People would probably report more sightings on Friday nights and Saturday nights. And in Kiel's data set, that was not the case. Curiously, the case was they were most often encountered on Wednesday evenings, which is basically the last time people are looking up in the sky. The other thing that was very common is you would also expect a much greater number of sightings over densely populated areas, simply because of observer bias. Right? You have more sensors, you have more people in those areas. And Kiel's data set indicated the opposite. Most of these sightings were in rural communities where there weren't a lot of people around. So if you're trying not to be observed and you're probably up to no good, or you're up to something that you don't want people to know. I don't know if that means, you know, they could be 
scientists observing the human race and they don't want to interfere with their experiment by being observed, right? It could be something that innocuous. So I don't want to throw people off. But if you don't want to be observed, you would fly around on Wednesday nights when nobody's looking up and it's the middle of the work week and you would fly around in rural environments. Now, this is Thiel's data set. There are other data sets that are a little bit more nuanced. The other thing, and I don't necessarily know if this is in Kiel's data, but if you look at just the general literature, there's also a very high correlation with location between location and nuclear uh, facilities, right? There's a huge number um, there. I think I got a good question. So uh, didn't Kiel do propaganda for the Allies during World War II? So it was his job to analyze and understand media coverage versus facts on the ground. Something like this. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to. I'd have to check, and you know, double check. I don't want to kind of speak out of school on that. But, uh, but his work, his work is pretty impressive. Uh, but I, I, he seems to kind of be of the mind that whatever this phenomena is, it's not. It's not necessarily ET, right? It could be transdimensional. It could be any any number of things. And I think if you actually do a serious analysis of the data, I, I think you probably fall into one of two categories. The first is we live in a simulation and things could be anything they want to be. And this is just the simulation giving people what they, they want to see. Or B, we live in what they would call in the 1940s a Buck Rogers universe. Right, where you have all sorts of like various um phenomena and 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 you know things things like that. Um, so you know, I mean, if, look, I've interviewed tons of people who've been in rooms where there's been like demonic possession, they've been uh, you know, had experiences with UFOs, um, remote viewing, like our government did do that, right, which is a, the ability to uh run intelligence operations on various uh you know uh, observed soviet facilities from a you know desk in fort meade maryland using um you know a, a technique called remote viewing where you can see in space distantly in space and time so oh i i'm not familiar with the looney tunes take on buck rogers but i'm gonna have to I'll have to take a look Anyway, uh, you know, I, I it feels like it's one of those two. So you take things like the skull experiments that I talked about briefly at the very beginning of this. There was a group in the you know place called Skull in the UK, and they were they kind of did seances for a few years, and yeah, it was probably an extremely long period. It was maybe ten to twenty years, and over time, they were able to get this phenomena to do really strange things that defied physics. So as an example, they, when they were pretty far along, they would ask these entities to take pictures. And it started first where like they, like they would be in a dark room and these things would just start snapping photos. Uh, nobody was there. And, you know, they had scientists that would, observe the experiment and, and try to do this. And then they would start removing things from the camera so that the camera just wouldn't work naturally, like just wouldn't 
wouldn't work mechanically. And to the point where they kind of went there with sealed film, like 35 millimeter film. And there would be somebody there who would, you know, verify that this was like factory sealed, never been opened. And they would ask these entities to, you know, take pictures. So they would unspool the film that, you know, factory sealed, never, never, never has never been opened. And, um, they would find all sorts of pictures on this on this stuff so it was very very odd um and then you know, they kind of kept doing this and they started experiencing apports right which are these you know items basically appearing out of nowhere and and you know you could argue that the the photos are an example of this apport phenomena but they kind of did this over and over and over again. And then they kind of lost control of the experiment. Like thousands of whatever these things were started coming through. They started like, and they would capture some of this stuff on film. They captured these, they, they called the, they called this guy, Mr. Blue or some, or this entity, Mr. Blue. And it looked like a gray, but it was like just kind of a blue color. Um, kind of looked like an apparition that they caught on camera. And they caught a lot of this stuff on camera uh you know throughout this experimental period so it was um kind of interesting interesting times so there again we're talking to Stephen mara who's a a parapsychologist or re researcher in the uk uh you know he was present for these things and he kind of documented these things um there's also you know the, the categorization of poltergeists there's also physical poltergeists so this is the kind of the dogman sort of activity and you know as folks have already mentioned on kind of the first part of this radio show is that sometimes when you start looking into these things sometimes when you stare into the abyss the, the abyss stares back and he has numerous like examples of really weird paranormal things would happen to him if he if he you know, if, if, if he was moving in the right direction, it would be all aces. Like all paths would open, everything would be great. But if he started sticking his nose into a place where whatever this phenomenon is, phenomenon is that didn't want him to look, uh, they would push back. And, you know, there'd be some, you know, there's some creepy stories about, about that. And the latest thing that he was looking into where it pushed back is he was doing some, research on sumerian and also babylonian demonology and it was associated with these physical poltergeist kind of this dogman entities in england there's a spot in england apparently where uh people will be chased by these supposed dogmen that are like physical poltergeists but the moment they stop or they freeze you know it, it kind of just feeds on fear it'll just kind of turn around and go away so anyway i whatever this is it's real but i don't you know i don't think we understand enough about the nature the full spectrum and nature of reality to truly have a good sense of what the heck is going on yeah johnny you i i think so too keel was ahead of time but you know who was even more ahead of keel that was um charles fort uh so when you hear like the term fortian right that's where it comes from like that guy i think had a pretty good sense of how complex all this 
all this stuff is. That's right. So that's kind of the, that's roughly where I am in the, in the keel material. The other place that, uh, I also talked about passports, uh, to Magonia and, um, kind of similar, similar to Fort, um, not Fort, similar to Kiel, where Jacques Vallée looks at a bunch of European cases, a lot of American cases, and there's a high strangeness factor to all these things, right? Uh, part of it is, you know, let, let's let's say that, let's assume it's all nuts and bolts, right? But if we were trying to take over a planet somewhere, you know, 10,000 years in the future, one way to get people to not share that we were there would be to show them absurd absurd stuff right like dogmen in tweed jackets smoking cigars right which is what some someone reported at skinwalker ranch as an example so you know there's a lot of that stuff in the in the literature and uh that Valet looks at he also looks at stories of uh you know fairy lore and all that sort of stuff to try to correlate is this the same thing is it um are these things just bleeding through from other realities all this stuff is a lot more complicated and it could just be the reason that we don't have disclosure is the government probably doesn't have you know has some idea but doesn't have a really good story Interesting. So Philip Blair is mentioning a is recommending a book called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by Walter Evans Wentz. And it was published in 1911, but he claims it's another book ahead of its time. So yeah, there's some weird there's a lot of weird stuff associated with the Fae or or the She is another um you know group of quote-unquote entities in Ireland that you know people talk about I myself have not delved too much into those topics but it's still it's still fascinating I think you you talk to people in Ireland um, and by the way yeah that includes UFO that book includes UFO accounts so you know like you see orbs you you take kind of the Bledsoe case right oh man yeah Philip K Dick was uh uh, look, I I know people who are personal friends with him. I've actually interviewed them um, on my channel, and he was he was a strange dude, but he was very into the um, the I Ching, right? Which is that it's like a sixty four character uh, Chinese system, Chinese system, and that you use for kind of predicting things he was very much into it and he would sometimes use it to plot his books or to write his books and there were often time and he would also use it because he had a lot of uh he kind of had an affinity for crazy women so he would ask this thing for for relationship advice and it wasn't like self-reinforcing like it would give him if if the answer was bad, it would tell him the bad answer. And apparently when he got a bad answer from the Yi Ching, he would quote unquote, make it sleep outside. Uh, Cause he was so upset with it. But Philip K. Dick was a very interesting character. 
he was very much, very much ahead of his time. Um, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to remember the uh, author uh, that I interviewed. Um, yeah, it's not coming to me. It's Tim, uh, Tim something. But he wrote like the Pirates of the, the, the book that was behind the Pirates of the Caribbean on strange tie, Stranger Ties and, um, you know, stuff like that. And he's still around. He's a good, oh, Tim Powers, Tim Powers. Just check out the Tim Powers interview. Uh, oh, there's multiple interviews, but you'll, you'll see. It's, I think it's, it's got like Philip K. Dick's face on the, on the thumbnail. So definitely check that out. Oh, I didn't know that. So Philip K. Dick's last wife has a YouTube channel. She talks about her writing projects, her cats, local life, uh, where she lives down in California. Tessa. Tessa's her name, apparently. I'll have to check that out. That's interesting. Yeah, if you could put a link, if you could put a link, uh, Philip, in the comments so that people could find that channel, that's totally appropriate. I think that would be great. Um, yeah, so I think... I think I've wrung out all the uh, stories that I know just just now, but there are several books that I definitely want to read. So, like the Lavenda's Sinister Forces series is something that I want to get into. He's also somebody I would love to interview. He's got really fascinating. He just follows all these breadcrumbs, right? Even though Europeans got to the United States relatively recently. You know, it's a very, North America is a very old continent. And there's a lot of things that have happened on North America. And I think people aren't aware that their surroundings. Yeah, so Moon Man, I know you're joining us late, but uh, Terry's not joining us tonight. I'm going to have to change the thumbnail after this thing's over so that people aren't led astray. But um, my guess is it was a scheduling uh, snafu of some sort or something. Uh, eventually, I might be able to, you know, I'll ask him to come back on a future episode because I don't think he's even aware. Um, you know, he has the link and all that stuff, but I think he thought the interview was tomorrow night for some reason. I, you know, who knows? Let me see. I don't think I've gotten anything from him. Yeah, so he's probably not even checking email right now. Let's see. Yeah, Moonman, I'm freestyling tonight. I'm freestyling on the radio. I just like summarized three books. Uh Peter Lavenda. Yeah, Peter Lavenda has absolutely followed some some very interesting trails. Yeah, I, I've reached out to him. I just haven't heard from him. So I would definitely if anybody has contact with them i would love to i would love to interview them so um all right well kind of filled up a lot of time so far but uh what, what do folks want want to hear about you know there's a lot of a lot of kind of crazy stuff going on in uh ufo land right um first we're getting disclosure then we're not getting disclosure uh mike turner you know, one week starts talking about some dangerous destabilizing technology that should be disclosed immediately to the American people. 
and then suddenly he goes quiet. There's, you know, a bunch of um, missile launches are hastily scheduled and then unscheduled and just weird. So a lot of weird stuff going on. But in terms of the U.S. government, the the sense the sense I get is I don't think the U.S. government has a good I think I think the phenomenon is so complex and so complicated that I just don't think I mean like they can't even run FEMA properly right so like trying to put something out that's this nuanced is probably beyond their capability yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, have I experienced anything mysterious firsthand? Nothing that, nothing that like beats me over the head and I say that's like anomalous. Most of it is just weird, weird synchronicities. Like the one I talked about at the very beginning, but again, all that stuff could just be, you know, just by chance. Um, yeah, so Philip's asking, is a mysterious technology about nu Russia's nuclear-powered satellites? I think so, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, we have we, we were, they're like talking about shooting balloons now and stuff like that. That was that was all interesting. The China balloon flap, where they now call balloons UAPs, so that they can confuse people and obscure other things in our in our skies. But in terms of like anomalous things happening to me the only things are strange animal stuff right we talked about the owl right um that just showed up in my backyard i kind of was able to walk up to it within five feet i literally took a thousand photos so i'm not making it up um you can also run really weird experiments right so here's an example if you have if you're trying to make a, a decision between two things right um you know, you can ask a question like, I don't know. Uh, let's say you're you just got into two colleges, and you say, should I go to college A or or college B, right? And then you just kind of you know pray who to whoever you pray to, God, Allah, whatever, and say something like, if it's a, if A, show me a hawk. If B me a raven right and i did something like that a few weeks ago and within five minutes literally within five minutes a raven probably six foot wingspan came flying like right over my head and it was just like visibly like Aah! like squawking at me again you know is there could that randomly happen right is there a probability that that would randomly happen um regardless of what i did yeah of course which is why the sort of things that happen to me are, you know, they're not black and white, right? So you have to ground yourself in some of this stuff too. So as an example, one thing I did to ground myself um, is I invite, I just kind of recorded two episodes with Mick West, who is a you know famous UFO debunker. And the reason I wanted to do that is I wanted my audience to have an understanding of what possible natural explanations of things that they see in the sky could be. And one of the things that I thought was pretty fascinating 
was I, lo I love the Raven Philip was that you have a number of uh, an increasing number of Starlink satellites in the sky, but they're doing you know they're crossing on kind of intersecting or almost intersecting elliptical orbits and stuff like that that makes it appear like something zigzagging in the side but sky but it's really like two or three starlink satellites moving in opposite directions and as a result pilots are the reports of ufos are exploding among among pilots but a huge percentage of them are these starlink satellites and it's not like the usual train that most people know of where you have like you know three three lights in the sky and they kind of just go across the sky and disappear it's it's more complex than that so pilots are, are starting to report all this stuff so they have to the airline companies are, are bringing in people to explain that like no a lot of a lot of like most of the time it's going to be these this um you know these starlink satellites that are doing this stuff so anyway you just have to remain grounded and try to find alternative explanations so that you don't go kind of you know everything's a sign you also have to be aware of observer bias confirmation bias attention bias and all those things and like by you know attention bias for instance you know when you buy a new car right you ever have that experience when you buy a new car that you see that car suddenly everywhere everybody's got it now and that's only because your attention you have you know your attention is on that car and now you're just ha you happen to be noticing all you know other cars of that type so you have to reconcile what you see with some of those cognitive biases as well and it's not it's not super simple but the short answer to the question of you know has anything kind of weird happened to me it nothing that is black and white right so there's the bit about with the, with animals happens a lot uh the other thing is i would say i've had three for four precognitive uh dreams nothing significant completely mundane stuff but as an example usually somebody will appear in them that is a figure that i don't know so there's a guy who's on skinwalker ranch he's a former cia guy he showed up in one of my dreams just randomly and uh, you know i won't go into the details but this guy was in my dream and that was, you know, I recorded it on my community tab on YouTube. You can you can go and find it on Through a Glass Darkly somewhere where I just described the, the details of the dream. Two days later, this this guy, uh, Danny Jones of the Danny Jones podcast, calls me because he's interviewing a guest that I had interviewed in the past. He's just getting background information. And at the end of the interview, I just randomly said, you know, a guest that would be really interesting to have on your show is Chris Bledsoe. And he went nuts. He's like, what the heck? You're the second person today who recommended Chris Bledsoe for this. Like, what is going on? What's this with this synchronicity? And I said, well, Danny, who recommended him first? And he said, Andy Bustamante. So like little things like that, that you could easily explain away as attention bias. It's just, it's just weird right uh the other one that happened recently there was a an episode on the y files called have you seen this man in your dreams okay and two nights before that episode even showed up right was even produced that dude was in my dreams and it wasn't like 
you know, it was just like, hey, look at me. You see my face? Make sure you see my face, right? It was like going out of its way, whatever it was, to to show me that. So I don't think it was... I don't think there's actually this guy who shows up in your dreams. I just think that, you know, each of us, you know, kind of right now we're in meat space, but I think each of us has some precognitive ability. Um, we just don't understand it or, or know it. And time doesn't work the way that we think it works. So I think that was just my subconscious kind of just saying like, Hey, meatball, I'm going to show you something, right? I'm going to I'm going to show you this figure in your dream and then you're going to see it for the first time outside of your dream 2 days later, right? So again, not predictive, not useful, but it, it just it feels like for all of us something is out there trying to show that we are more than the physical. And I think that's that, that's about as far as I can include anything about anything right now so and again if somebody were to say debunked you're debunked all that stuff is just attention bias and this and that i would say yeah could be could be so part of it is you know unless you see something that's so unambiguous and undeniable like i haven't had that moment yet but i've seen weird like i like this weird like the synchronicities and the precognition stuff like that. And I try to document it when I have a dream that feels precognitive, I'll, I'll write it down and, uh, you know, try to figure it out. Oh, okay. So Anthony Jones, I want to get back to this cyber attack or sun flare. What was determined with the mass allergies the other day? Yeah. It's kind of interesting how that story just kind of just went, just went away. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it could be it could be either it could just be you know china or russia just sending a shot across the bow saying that we can do this or it could be some sort of solar flare but let's let me look it up actually because i haven't checked it because i think it was at&t outage right yeah so the company's initial review so the, let me make sure that we're, we're looking at this. So this is, this article is, it's USA Today, so take it with a grain of salt. This is as of February 23rd. So the company's initial review says it wasn't a cyber attack. Okay. So what was it? Uh, so so AT&T and federal organizations are investigating in the cause of the disruption. Yeah. Um, oh, it sounds like it's just human incompetence. So an initial review by the company found the disruption was caused by the quote-unquote application and execution of an incorrect process used as we were expanding our network, or more simply put, a technical error. All right, well, yeah, I have... Okay, yeah, we're going to see more of these things, but I'm not going to say on the, over the radio why. But expect a lot more of these things. Um, let's see. Yeah, so it looks like it's human error.
yeah, they don't think it was it was cybersecurity incident, and there's nothing about solar flares. So, good old fashioned human error. But we're seeing a lot more of these things recently. I wonder why. I'm not going to answer that question, but I have a very strong idea why. And it's nothing. Uh... Yeah, it probably was across multiple platforms, but it might just—it could be like a third-party um, supplier of some sort of, you know, technology or something like that. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, Anthony, for reminding me about that because that was um, that was interesting. I'm glad I was able to look it up. Yeah, just good old-fashioned incompetence. Now, that's the other thing, too. Is that really the story? Right? Like, if, if it were, like, a cyber attack, would they say it was a cyber attack? If it were a solar flare and we're kind of in line for a Carrington incident, would they say it was a solar flare or a coronal mass ejection? Would they? I mean, after the pandemic, I don't, I don't believe they would. They would. I think, I think they would say operator operator error. Now, I'm not saying it's not an operator error. Error. It probably it probably is, but you can't believe anything that you know some of these national news organizations print anymore because they just print what they're told. And you know, if the company's in the driver's seat, then it's probably true. But if they're not in the driver's seat, and the, you know somebody else is I, I i don't know i don't know so let's see yeah so we are we are entering strange waters right now i think there's another interview where chris bledsoe also claimed that there was going to be some sort of uh event in 2026 um april time for or around kind of easter uh, I think on my show he said September 2026, but may maybe they just, you know, that's when the Red Star Regulus aligns with the eyes of the Sphinx. So it could get, could get spicy. Yeah, yeah, of course they would. Yeah, it wouldn't. But you know what? Like, if they did say something, at least people could better prepare for, you know, something. Because if something really bad happens and they and they weren't, they aren't, weren't prepared for it, the moment that the people in charge try to restore order it's going to be a lot harder um because people aren't going to trust them anymore and they don't and they're not going to have to right because they were were useless they were usually literally useless and if you have somebody trying to collect taxes from you that um did not warn you about something big coming and as a result you weren't prepared and millions of people died then they don't deserve to be in control anymore so I hope they realize that. I, I hope they realize that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't... I think right now we just have a bunch of kleptocrats. Uh, I think the military is very competent but, and the intelligence community is very competent, but I think the kleptocrats in charge are, are utterly corrupt. So... Yeah, we won't be... Yeah, so free spirit farmer... You're probably correct. We won't be told anything anytime. You know, at the end of the day, I think I think we are as a species at a point where, um, at a point when we're pushing people away, 
from yeah actually i'm uh sorry sorry to, so uh miss tessa marie is asking me are there any more incoming interviews with nathaniel gillis or steve mara not with steve but i have uh nathaniel on the books for i think early april so hopefully that video will appear obviously if we record it and all that stuff happens that should you know come out sometime in april and it's on i think he has some new research that he unveiled at a conference in uh, manchester england last week so i think he's going to cover some of that new research that he's that he's kind of gone through so i know it should be should be interesting i'm looking forward to it all right what else do people have their minds on in terms of uh you know i think we're talking about how disclosure might progress so it sounds like they're you know congress and the senator are continuing to have some of these classified hearings where they're learning about the nature of reality but they're not telling anybody about it which sounds you know par for the course so their families you know just like they can they can trade stocks um with material non-public information uh per totally fine for them to do it uh by the way if uh you could invest in the you know congressional uh stock portfolio you should absolutely do it there are actually hedge funds that index against it because it's so wildly successful right because you know if you know that you're gonna the government's gonna give a 50 billion dollar contract to lockheed martin then you can invest in lockheed martin before the public knows and then when the public finds out the stock price goes up and you pocket the you know pocket the the money right so it's just you know we'll 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 see i'm just not confident that uh i think we're again we're at a point in our evolution where you're on your own you're on your own you got to take nobody's going to come and tell you what the nature of reality is no one's going to come and you know kind of ease you in to what's going on around the world you are on your own you are responsible for learning the truth on your own because no one else is going to tell you and that's where i am personally right now uh you know obviously be careful and be prudent and make sure you're well grounded but and that's the thing like let's say in 2026 these things show up and it turns out they're darker than we thought it was. So all the people who believe in Space Brothers are going to go out to welcome them and they're going to get their anus cored out, right? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's 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 absurd. You got to give people a heads up. At least let them know what the nature of reality is and they can plan accordingly. Trust your own people to behave in a way where they can accept the reality of the situation rather than shaming people who go through sometimes traumatic experiences and you know it's just it's not not a great way to do things i i i think he probably knows so we got a question from spirit free spirit farmer would love to know what tucker carlson knows about ufos um where he's not wanting to tell his wife sounds uh, he probably knows about some of these human mutilations but he also might know some of the blood so stuff because he talks about how it might be spiritual and there might be and I think there's an element of all of the above. I think there's life out in the universe, right? There's trillions of planets out there, um, many of which support life, probably. But I also think that there might be kind of interdimensional 
you know, aspect of reality where, you know, things are opening wormholes between, you know, kind of universes in, you know, if you think of, um, I'm trying like brain theory, right? B-R-A-N-E, where universes are just kind of like floating out in the ether and sometimes they collide. And when they collide, things bleed through, you know, again, it's a physical or a physics um, theory about how reality works, but maybe that sort of thing, these collisions happen. And maybe there's some species that fi has figured out how to bridge these things and jump from brain to, from universe to universe. And, you know, who knows? But I think, I think what we know in terms of science and physics only scratches the surface. Yeah, so Anthony Jones is saying if Bledsoe is legit, he is the key to true disclosure. My only fear is my only fear he is surrounded by people with ties to the enemy. I think I think the intelligence community, like any other community, has different factions. There's the um jackass faction that wants to keep it all quiet. Um and you know, kind of do the knowledge is power and like, oh my god, there'll be a panic. It's just like rip off the band-aid. It's been eighty years, dude. It's been eighty years. What the hell is wrong with you? And then there's the, you know, other crowds that want to kind of subtly start telling people the nature of reality. But I think, I think that we've stilted our, or stunted our growth for the last 80 years by not being more open about these things. And I think, uh, you know, along the way, many people had their entire lives traumatized and and destroyed for what to keep a secret about reality reality is reality let people figure it out yeah i don't think we'll so philip blair is saying i don't think we'll have a panic i don't i mean in the united states i don't think we will but we would but i think in like you know, other parts of the world that are uh, in places where there's fundamentalist factions, let's just call it, uh, I think of all sorts of religions, I think the reaction might might be a little crazy. And then imagine the reality, like I can spin up. That's the problem. There's so much disinformation and misinformation. You can't even spin up a coherent narrative uh, being fully confident that you have all the facts, right? So imagine if there is some, let's say it's ET. Let's say there's some extraterrestrial species that's been abducting people in private, that's been subtly altering their DNA. In, in you know, and it could just be that it's, that's what they do and that's what they've always done. They've always um, kind of helped humanity evolve. It could also be that they want to take over the planet and they're cross, you know, hybridizing the human species and then you're just going to replace us with something right who knows we have no idea and i'd rather have some sense even if we don't have all the answers yeah so roger uh claiborne is uh presenting a completely and totally legitimate hypothesis right which is he says i suspect most of it might have been just a psyop there literally isn't anything to disclose except secret te tech. That could be true. Like, that could absolutely be true. And that's the problem. You have to be able to simultaneously accept 
that it could be any one of these different things until there's until either you a have direct experience or somebody comes in and you know kind of gives you a much a much broader narrative so philip blair says it's old news in brazil so they i so they so he doubts that they would probably have that they would have a panic and that's kind of the human mutilation thing and that's typically where a lot of them happen i think there's one case in the u.s that I know of, which is, uh, I think it's like the Lovett case, it was like in the 1950s, where an Air Force uh, guy was like, his body was found kind of similar to cattle mutilations, stuff like that. There's also an apocryphal story in Vietnam where American soldiers came across a bunch of greys like loading up Vietnamese and American body parts after a, a battle. Um, but again, it could be apocryphal. Who knows if it's real? I think Stringfield um, included it in his book. So Free Spirit Farmer said, if the aliens are smart, they would ditch this planet and zip out of here. We aren't civilized enough yet. Unless they want to just replace us, right? So, and, and that's the thing. We just don't know. There's no, there's no responsible adult who is sharing this information with the American public. So, you know, like for all for all I know, and I you know I think I think Rush is an honest broker, and I think he believes what he's been told, but there's no guarantee that he he he's not been told stuff that was just cooked up as a psyop to scare the bejesus out of the Chinese, right? Where they start going crazy because we've recovered UFO technology, we allegedly recover UFO technology. Now there's a world where they didn't recover anything, right? And they're like, oh my God, we're in trouble. But I doubt we live in that world. I think some of these stories are true. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so ubiquitous. But how do you know? You can't put your hat on it because you don't have direct experience. But the problem is when you lie to the public like this, so frequently and so often, they start to question the nature, the very nature of reality. How do you know what you know to be true? Well, I know that if I touch a frying pan and burn my hand, I know from experiential knowledge that that's true, right? How do I know that an apple's going to drop if I let it go when I'm holding it and hit the ground? Well, I have experiential knowledge and a theory called gravity. But then there's other stuff that, particularly about history, that the only reason you know is because there was some document and then some historian wrote about the document and then interpreted the document and put it in writing, right? For, for all you know, that could have been completely doctored and written up. We have no idea. So the danger of, that's why nobody believes the media, news media anymore. They lied so consistently during the pandemic that, you know, as a means or a mechanism of control for governments, they're just not effective anymore. The only thing the government can now rely on is its powers of censorship. That's it. So Anthony Jones uh, says that he has a crazy theory on how Bledsoe story could be a psyop of a Jesus return event that leads us to a one world government. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're that. The world is that conspiracy minded. I mean, have you, have you seen our government? Have you seen how incompetent? like these politicians are, there's no way they could possibly 
kind of collude in an effective conspiracy like that. There's no way. They're just not competent people. They're midwits. They're not that intelligent. Okay, so Miss uh, Tessa Marie, do you think there's anything to RH negative, O negative blood types being linked to aliens or something weird? That's that's what mine is. Only like 8 to 12% of the world, world population has it. So, uh, so Joe uh, Montaldo, the guy who owns the station, actually, um, he has done a study where he has, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of contactee reports. And one of the commonalities is, I think, and this is something I think it was he said on Coast to Coast AM. So something like 69% of, of people in those contactee or experience or reports had RH negative blood types. Um, there was also a high percentage of, you know, higher than average IQ, um, red and green eyes, which apparently only showed up, you know, you know, eight to 12,000 years ago or something like that as a mutation that showed up and have, you know, some psychic ability in some way. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know anything more than that, but you know, it's, it's possible. It's definitely possible. Um, Yeah, some believe islands float and can flip over, laugh or laugh. Where do they find these? Yeah, yeah. there was literally, a, I think, a congressional representative who was worried that, like, Guam was going to, like, float away and flip over or something like that. Like, they are legitimately, like, insanely stupid. All right, so Philip's asking uh, Tessa Marie if she's uh, Bosque. Yeah, that's like yeah. I've never heard of people with red eyes either. That is kind of weird. All right. So, yeah, I think kind of in the nineteen end of nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, there were all these UFO flaps that were freaking people out, and um, you know the the chatter kind of in the you know the chatter out there seems to indicate that we might be due for one. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens, right? Because everybody has a, you know, a camera in their hand almost at any given time. So is this something that the government is going to a, try to shut down? And if they try to shut down, are they going to be able to shut it down? And the answer is sure. I mean, you know, they can, you know, just call a local cell, cell provider and have them shut down the cell towers in the area for a week, right? And then they can just go and, visit people who've been in the area and confiscate their cell phones, right? I mean, you have to deal with millions of people, so good luck with that, but still. Uh, <clears throat> there, there's also a, a pipeline that they can shut down the internet for a period of time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Just make sure you back up everything right on a external drive so that, you know, somebody shows up and tries to take your stuff. You know, I don't know. It'll be it'll be pretty pretty interesting. But again, given given the stuff that happened in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, um I don't feel like they're here to protect us. Like they're here to protect the institution. That's 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 what the government is for. They're they're there to preserve their own jobs and protect the institution. And that's it. Military, 
you know, I like they're there to kind of protect us from discrete th threats, but everything else, I mean, they really don't do anything but collect taxes and, you know, oppress people. So I don't know. Let's see. I'm just kind of going through some of this stuff. The Phoenix Lights might have... So, Philip, the Phoenix Lights was probably the last. But I, I think there were, like, much bigger ones in the 80s. I think that was probably a smaller one. All right, I think given that we're near the bottom of the hour, I want to remind folks that you are listening to United Public Radio and Through a Glass Darkly Radio with Sean Patrick Hazlett. Also, um, you'll, you'll see the thumbnail, which I'll change as soon as this thing is over. Uh, Terry Loveless was supposed to appear. I think we had a scheduling issue, so he, he was not able to attend tonight. I'll try to get him in future weeks, so my apologies for... Not having him um, this evening. So Free Spirit Farmer, I think, is asking, what president was it that made a deal with them? I'm assuming he means ETs about taking people. I believe it was, the lore says it was Eisenhower at, like, Hollowell uh, Air Force Base. There was, like, a meeting or something. Yeah, yeah. So Roger uh, Claiborne says, no, I saw a flying saucer once. So they are real, but it could be our tech. Absolutely. It could also be both, right? It could be tech that we reverse engineered from some other tech. But I don't, I mean, but something definitely crashed in, in Roswell. I think there's enough evidence. Like a flying disc definitely crashed in Roswell. And whether or not it was like the Soviets flying it or, you know, some, who knows? You come up with any sort of, random um story about it but you know something did crash in Roswell it wasn't a wasn't a weather balloon yeah Edgar Casey's an interesting character too I, have, I haven't read much about him but he was like the sleeping prophet I think he was he's kind of in the 1950s or something like that where he would sleep and then have all these visions about Atlantis and all sorts of crazy stuff but he was crazy like precognitive and would be able to predict things and had the power of prophecy and just just weird so what kind of guests would people like to see in future uh episodes on this on this channel Anyone? It's very quiet, man. Very quiet. Yeah, meanwhile, it looks like... Um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, would, I need to reach out to... to Chris Bledsoe again, because it, it has been... hasn't quite been a year since I last talked to him or interviewed him, but that would be interesting. Ryan, I've reached out. He doesn't respond, so I don't. I don't know what the deal is there. Roger, I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for 
subscribing uh, again most of this i'm generally generally don't tend to be live i tend to uh do interviews of different folks but by the way for folks who are here because i wanted to see terry loveless um if you go to the the description i actually have a playlist with uh two other terry loveless episodes i was gonna i was gonna kind of go through his story again for the uh, live audience but if you want to see the one that i did some <clears throat> sometime last year i did two interviews with them it's just you just click on that link and there's a playlist of two other videos that you can review and um that'll give you a good sense but i'm gonna you know i'll i'll reach out to them i don't i, I think it was just kind of cro signals got crossed or something but um i'll try to get them i'll get on the show not next week because i got limby cannon on next week but uh you know, maybe the week after next. Who's Philip Blair's asking? Um, or Joshua Cutchin? Say more. I'm not. I'm not aware who Joshua Cutchin is. Same thing with Marzinski. Who's Marzinski? Who are these two folks? By the way, again, Peter Lavenda would be an awesome guest, but I didn't get a response from him yet so i'll probably i'll probably try to reach out again now i gotta look at i don't even know who joshua is joshua touching Let's see. Okay, so he's the author of several critically acclaimed books, 2015's A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch. Uh, 2016's The Brimstone Deceit, an in-depth examination of supernatural sense, otherworldly odors, and monstrous miasmas. 2018's Thieves in the Night, a brief history of supernatural child abductions. In 2020s, where the footprints end, high strangeness, and the Bigfoot phenomena. Yeah, this would actually be pretty interesting. And then he released a two-part masterwork, Ecology of Souls, a New Mythology of Death and the Paranormal. Huh. Yeah, looks he's been featured on History Channel. Um, yeah, I think that I think he would make a fantastic guest. Thank you for that recommendation. I think I probably reach out. Yeah, I was actually trying to get a hold of Barry Fitzgerald because I wanted to talk to him about that topic. Because again, it's a topic, the Fae is a topic I have not explored in any level of depth or detail. So I will definitely have to take a look because... Again, if you notice, I'm I'm kind of covering all aspects of the phenomenon. I don't just focus on UFOs. I don't just focus on the paranormal. And I started with that kind of national security lens, like geopolitical lens, which is why I started with remote viewing, because that's real. Like, that's real. Like, we we had ran projects, Stargate, Grill Flame, Center Lane, Sunstreak, a number of different projects between the 1970s and 1990s. 
uh, where, you know, you don't run a program for, you know, 10 to 25 years that doesn't work. So, yeah, I also haven't done anything with Bigfoot. And that's kind of one of these. Ah, uh, so Jerry, okay, so uh, Red Old Vox is saying that uh, the other person recommended, J Jerry Mar Marzinski, connects the spirits, phenomena, schizophrenia, and demons. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, Paul Sinclair, where do, I, where do I know that name? I know that name from somewhere. Yeah, I think most people do. Like, I don't. I don't know if you were on uh, Roger, where I give two examples of some kind of precognitive experiences that I've had. If I've I've interviewed Eric Wargo, who wrote a book called Time Loops. But uh, one thing I recommend everybody to to try, and I'm not a great practitioner of this. I need to be better. But as soon as you wake up, if you have a dream that you remember, write it down. Write it down immediately before it fades away, and. You know, if you can do that relatively frequently, um, over time you will start to notice that there are precognitive episodes in some of those things. It might not be like direct one-on-one -on -one correlation, but in the examples that I provided earlier in this broadcast, um, you'll be amazed at some of the stuff that you find. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sinclair, is, is, he's the character in The Da Vinci Code. But probably a different Sinclair. Uh, oh, okay. So he's... Sounds like he's also a... Yeah, I I reached out to them, to Greg and, and Dana Newkirk. I No response. I mean, they're, they're probably still too, too big for me, right? My channel's probably not big enough for them to to spend much time yet, but... Let me let me look up let me look up Paul Sinclair and see. Um, find out more about Paul Sinclair. Uh, oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of Paul Sinclairs. <laughs> there's a lot of. It's gonna be hard to. Oh, here we go. I bet you it's this guy. Uh, no. Oh, you know what? He might be. Um... Yeah, I might need some help with this one. There's so many. There's. Oh wait, that no. Here it is. He's a UK-based researcher. Yeah, I just I can't find anything that's like not video or podcast where I can just read it because it doesn't it doesn't help to be, um, you know, to, to play something on video while I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah, he's a UK researcher, but I'll have to I'll have to look more into that to to figure him out. Any, what other guests would you like to... And generally, if I haven't interviewed the guest yet on my own podcast, I usually look at that as kind of a rehearsal. So I would probably do it on my, on my own podcast first and heavily produce it because it's, 
you know, pre-recorded and then, and then eventually have them come on here. Like Limby Cannon's been on my podcast many times. So I kind of know how that's going to go. And he's a super interesting, super interesting guy. Yeah. 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 So lucid dreaming for precognition when I, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, usually, usually it's, if somebody shows up in a dream that never shows up in your dream and it seems like it's out of left field, it's usually a sign to pay attention. Uh, so another example that happened to me is I had a dream about the philosopher, sorry, the philosophy of Ted Kaczynski, right? Which, you know, for folks who don't know who Ted Kaczynski is, he's the kind of the Unabomber, but his philosophy was all about, uh, you know, kind of how industrialization was getting to the point basically where we are now where you have kind of the panopticon following everybody and like um knowing everything about like a social credit system sort of stuff like that like he as crazy as he was and he's you know he was a terrorist right? he, you know, he, he was not not a great person but he saw all this stuff coming uh and he wrote about it and kind of it was you know it's a requirement to um you know, he had this manifesto that he put out. Anyway, I had a dream about that, which I was just like, what the F? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. And I woke up that morning, I went downstairs, sat in front of my computer, and Ted Kaczynski was trending because he died that day. I, just, can that happen as a coincidence? Sure. Sure. I'm sure somebody who's like a hardcore skeptic can say, well, there's no way that you could show there. And they're right. Like, but it's just really weird. Um, all right. So Philip is saying Walter Bosley would be a good guest to interview about remote viewing. He used Limby Cannon's method, possibly solve a, oh, a century old occult murder. Interesting. You're probably talking about associative remote viewing. Maybe. Um, yeah. I mean, the guy was crazy, but he's also, he was also involved in unwittingly involved in MK Ultra experiments at Harvard. There was a, a professor there who was working with the CIA um, and like it maybe had some uh, tangential relationship with Ted Kaczynski that, um, or not Ted Kaczynski, with Sidney Gottlieb, who's the chemist at the CIA. He was like behind all this kind of evil stuff. Um, and it was, it was definitely, definitely, definitely some evil stuff. So, all right. Um, I think we have a few minutes left. So what else do folks want to talk about? I think right now is a great time for Q&A. Like officially Q&A. Because uh, I've been doing a lot of tap dancing tonight that I didn't expect to do. Uh, I hope it didn't look like tap dancing. But I fully expected to have a guest. And, uh, you know. Oh yeah, so there's a book about Sydney got or about Dr. Gottlieb. It's called Poisoner in Chief. So folks should definitely check that out. Steve Stockton. All right, I could look into that person in terms of somebody. Oh yeah, William Forschin. Uh, maybe out of your genre, but interesting. So it's 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 he's the so the author of one second after series by William uh, Forstgen, maybe out you know yeah maybe maybe but he 
Yeah, he's a kind of a famous kind of fictional author, I think. Uh, I haven't heard I haven't heard from him or about him for for a while. Um Oh yeah. Yeah, this EMP stuff is 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 a little it's almost as if even if you could prepare you you probably couldn't really prepare. Right. If you lose electricity, um you know, anything that requires refrigeration is done. So the best you can do is make sure you stock up. And then if you can't defend your property, it doesn't matter that you stocked up, somebody's just gonna come in and take it. So, yeah, so Free Spirit Farmer said it's, his book is very realistic. My, uh, or she says, my husband is retired military, said it's spooky, very real. Yeah. Yeah, it would certainly be a spooky situation for sure. Not, not great. So folks, if, if you just joined, <laughs> like super late... You're listening to United Public Radio through Glass Darkly Radio with Sean Patrick Hazlett. And uh, unfortunately, if you're looking here for uh, Terry Loveless, my apologies. We, um, for some reason, he, you know, he was unable to attend. So hopefully in a future episode, we'll get there. But I will promise I will change the thumbnail before, uh, you know, other people come and listen to this whole thing waiting for him. I will, uh, you know, I don't want to do any false advertising. Uh, so Philip Blair is saying, have you interviewed Randall Carlson about the Carrington event and related natural disasters in American history? He's a great interview guest. I have not. Um, someday I, I definitely will. First of all, I'm like intimidated in the sense that there's some people, if you ask, you're just not going to reply because maybe I'm not big enough. But second, I haven't done enough research on him. I haven't read any of his books. Like I, I'm fully aware of who he is with like the younger Dryas event and things like that, like 12,000 or 11,000, 11,500 11, years ago and a mass extinction, extinction event or, or whatever. But, um, I need to do more research on them before, before I, um, bring them on or kind of spend that. Yeah. 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 There's a book actually. So Roger uh, Claiborne is talking about buy lots of salt, for meat preservation without uh refrigerator yeah there's a book called salt i think and it's about before refrigeration how controlling salt was like a geo it's like controlling it was like oil it was like a geostrategic resource that people fought and died over to you know control it uh yeah so free spirit thought farmer said in an EMP incident 90 percent of the u.s would die in, a, in in the first year that's if the EMP was not, if like electric equipment wasn't restored or there wasn't some restorative action. Like if it was, if it just wiped out all electrical systems for a year, yeah, you'd have a problem. The other thing too is I think when, like if the EMP is strong enough, anything with electric circuit, it might actually like set it on fire. So you have a lot of like things just burning down. People are homeless, hungry, and... um there's an old Spanish proverb that says something to the effect of civilization and anarchy are seven meals apart. That's what makes it super. Yep. Yep. And canning cans for everything. Yeah. I think just buying a ton of cans and just making sure it has a long shelf life. 
Oh, interesting. Soldier and salary both have salt as their word origin. Interesting. Oh, boy. This is the Miami, Florida Mall. So Tessa is saying, did you hear about the crazy theory about what happened at the Miami, Florida Mall a few weeks ago? Some kids turned on some machine to cause a portal to open. And that's where the... I I, th I think that was like a hoax. But I, I don't know. Like, I... I have other people who were, you know, swear by it, but it just, the other thing is all these like crazies, they also have like the, the Nevada aliens, right? The Las Vegas aliens that kind of showed up in somebody's backyard. I feel like a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff happened when Grush was, um, you know, putting out some of his revelations. So I think some of it was deliberate misinformation or disinformation, by some faction in the intelligence community to uh, make it look ridiculous. The other thing too is if you've seen like the Jeremy Corbell like jellyfish video, uh, just go to Mick West's site. It's 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 they're balloons. Like they're they're. I lived in the desert before. We would have flying trash bags. As soon as I saw that thing, I'm like, this thing is not. It's a nothing burger. And uh, Mick West has a great video that debunks. It. I'm not saying like you know Mick West is my hero or anything like that, but. I think you need to just take things. Don't be a skeptic. Don't look into debunking, but take in as much data and information as you can and try to make an informed decision about it. That said, I do not have an informed view on the Miami case, right? I just haven't, I haven't done my homework on that at all. Oh, well, I think all the cop cars were there because it was like a riot. Well, they were trying to prevent a riot. I think it was like a big, uh, you know, group of like high school kids caught like wreaking havoc. I think that's why a bunch of the cops were there. All right, I'm kind of getting to my allotted time on the on the radio. So thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you, and uh, you know, thank you for coming to the channel. I'm sorry that. Terry wasn't on. I think I think he thinks it's tomorrow night, so I'll just I'll just try to book him in a future episode. I, again, I think it's just a I think it's a uh, an an honest mis uh, an honest an honest miscommunication. So we'll be we'll be fine. But next week, um, uh, hopefully, you can all tune in to the next episode, which is going to be with Lynn Buchanan and uh, we're going to go over some good stuff. So good night, everyone, and see you next week.